When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Vilstead, I was mentioning this. I'm, I am fascinated by how stuff works. I I did not get the repair gene in our family. I don't think my brother necessarily got it either. There might not have been a repair gene, but whenever <laughs> stuff goes wrong, I don't know how to fix it. But, I, you know, when you call people, I'm always – I'm intrigued by how, you know, stuff is fixed. You sure. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've gotten to the point after all these years where when I hear weird noises or stuff, for most stuff, I know I can't fix it, but I know kind of what's wrong. So my, my wife is out of town. Our dryer, what, which is – it's a relatively new dryer, four or five years old, and it's – not all the time, but it's making. It was making this like awful squealing, squeaking sound. Okay. So I figure it's a belt or something because you go on the internet, they say it's a belt. So I, I call this repair guy and I describe, it and he says, "Well, it, it could be, but I doubt it. It sounds to me like you've got a bad bearing at, at the end." And he says, "This is what happens if you don't clean out your dryer vent enough and it overheats oh. and stuff." So I said, "Okay, great." So guy's coming over today. Now um, my wife, like I say, she's out of town, so I have to be down here to do the radio show. He gets there about nine fifteen in the morning, and I guess I'm figuring, okay, it, it's a bearing. What do you have to do? Just and plug you know, it in and be done. Well, right. Well, right. well you know, snap you you, you pull something out, you snap <laughs> it in. Okay, you. I, so I'm watching this. You have to take the entire dryer apart. Oh, the, the bearing. I mean, I'm going. What? No, it's a it's a front loading dryer. So first he he has to take off the top, and then you've got to unplug the mechanics through there. Then you've got to take off the door that opens up, and then you've got to take off the underneath. Then you've got to take out the drum. Oh, I mean, the, the dog is like looking at this. I mean, literally, he took the entire dryer <laughs> apart, and and I'm I'm. I'm impressed with this in a way, and then he finally gets to the bottom. Now I'm kind of curious about it, and yeah, there, there he said, "This is what it is," and this you can see it's kind Shows of burned out, okay. and, yeah, and that, yeah. that's it. And then I'm saying, "Can you put this back together again?" <laughs> and he says, "Yeah, mostly." He says the goal is to make sure you don't have too many screws left over <laughs> afterwards. You know, where does this piece go? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. But it was just. I mean, for anybody who would have tried an in-home repair, I, I mean, I, I could, I'm just trying to imagine myself trying to take, you going on the internet, well, this is how you replace a bearing. You take this off. I mean, you, you, the, the whole, literally, the dryer is in all these different pieces scattered across the laundry room. I've been there where we, we had an issue with our dryer and I YouTubed it. And I was blown away. Like YouTube told me, okay, pull out this thing on the bottom, then stick your hand in there and touch this random button that I never would have found on the bottom of the dryer underneath right. the whole thing. Right. And I'm feeling around in there. It's all dusty. And I, I press some little button and all of a sudden my dryer started working again. Oh, okay. Well, it, what it, in the world? It, well, it was. But it's, I said, is this how – he said, well, you know I- – I mean, I at my old house, I mean, I think I had a Maytag dryer that lasted for 20 years, and then it finally ended up dying, and and I had it serviced once, and, and that was, it was pretty easy, and the guy says, no, that's not how they make them anymore. I mean, for for most of this stuff. <laughs> now they you, only last a couple of years. <laughs> and you have to take them apart. Well, there, he says, there's nothing wrong. I mean, your dryer's in fine shape. It was just that, you know, it was overheated. It's, it's just this bearing thing, but if you don't want it to happen again in three or four or five years, you know, get, you, you got to do a better job of having somebody come in every couple of years and blow out your the lint thing yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. But but I was I was just like me and the dog are looking at this all these pieces scattered <laughs> out and I'm I'm kinda looking at the my clock and I'm watching it's like ten fifteen and I'm I'm just my, my entire dryer is now scattered out over the laundry room floor and I'm going 
huh, I'm, I, call Scafidi and tell him he's going to have to do another hour <laughs> or something and like You would have been happy to, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. So that's it. Okay, so now, of course, textures are coming in. They say um, you what you had was the overheat switch reset on your dryer. That's what people that's are what saying. I had, yeah. Yeah, I don't, don't know. I just... Yep. Um, yes, people are suggesting all, all I know, whatever, it's, it's fixed, seems to be running, glad the guy came out, nice guy, you know, gave me all sorts of ideas. But I, I just, I'm watching and thinking, man, how do home repair people? It's like people used to change their oil and stuff. and Never you know, do no, that anymore. No, nobody nobody does. Or or you used to, you know, people would do like auto repairs, and now it's just all so computerized. Mm-hmm. You just, right, yeah. you know, you, you, you got to go to somebody that's got the computer and plug it in, and then they'll tell you what the problem it's is. It's much easier to just have somebody else do it. Well, I figured that out a lot. <laughs> I, you know, when I bought my first house, a long time ago, I quickly learned that when it comes to plumbing and electricity and a whole series of other things, number one, I cannot fix it, and number two, I typically make it worse. <laughs> so in any event, that this was my present to my, my wife, whose birthday is next week. As I called her, I said, hey, this is your birthday present. I got the dryer fixed. And, <laughs> you don't have to hear it anymore. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily going to go over. I think there might be something else as well. All right. Uh, o- only in government. Now, I, I want you to think about how the private sector works. Imagine your job. You do something in your job which is completely and totally contrary to, the, your, to what you are allowed to do. On top of that, what you have done is also a crime. And you have been charged with a crime. Just imagine that. I mean, just, you know, just, you know, figure this out. You're, okay, maybe you're, you're a sales guy or, or something like that. And you have defrauded your company. You know, it turns out that you know, you've put in these phony claims for sales orders or whatever, and you've enriched yourself. And um, they, they find out about it and they report you and you've now been charged with fraud. So you're charged with a crime. You've also violated the rules of the office and... What's going to happen to you? Well, I think it's pretty easy. Your your boss will probably say, "Okay, this is this is it. You're you're done. Here's here's your cardboard box full of you know. Here's your box of future endeavors, and and boom, you're you're gone. You're not going to be allowed back in. And oh, by the way, you're you're off the payroll, right? I mean, you do something in connection with your job that turns out to be a crime." Well, you know, you're going to be walked out of the office, appropriately so, and you're going to stop getting paid, right? Isn't that the way the world should work? Well, here's the latest story in the local newspaper. The Milwaukee deputy election director who lost her position over the military ballot scheme remains on the city payroll. The Milwaukee official fired from her position as second in charge of the city's election commission over a scheme to fraudulently request military absentee ballots is on paid leave at the city. A key detail Mayor Cavalier Johnson did not disclose when announcing her removal last week. Johnson said in a November 3rd news conference in a follow-up statement to reporters that she had been removed from her position. Her employment in the election commission was terminated. Okay, and then he goes on. This is, of course, the the lady that came up with the scheme of ordering the fake ballots under military ballots under non-existent people's names and having them sent to a Republican state representative. And she says what her motives were. I, I kind of question that. But regardless, you know, she, she she did something which is about as significant a betrayal of trust, not to mention a crime, as you can imagine. Well, it turns out that um, she wasn't or at least has not been removed from the payroll. Apparently, um, she has been demoted, 
So they've moved her from deputy elections clerk, which pays $87,000. She's been uh, returned to her previous civil, civil service position, which pays her $68,913. She's been placed on administrative leave um, while the Department of Employee Relations, this would be HR, continues consultations with the city attorney's office on her civil service protections and or action from the city service commission. Uh, the spokesperson says, well, you know, she's being paid at a lower salary. Now, this is, of course, causing some embarrassment for the mayor's office, and their spokespeople are saying, well, well, he really didn't lie when he said she was fired. She's been told explicitly that she's do no, to do no work. Her email access is shut down, and her building access has ended. But she's still on the payroll <laughs> because— When you work for government, it is very difficult to get you off the payroll. They say she has residual rights as a former civil service employee. The city is moving forward with the process that could terminate her civil service standing. And then they say, well, she's not working for the city now, but, but she is continuing to get paid while this process of getting her off the payroll drags on. Now, I, I, I'm not being too critical of the city at this point in time because obviously by firing her, they did the right thing. I think, again, this is another one of those situations where the mayor was perhaps too clever by half when he gave at least the impression that she was gone, that she was history, and not that, oh, by the way, she's also collecting her salary while this goes on. My question, I guess, would be, first of all— Maybe this is an example of how you have to have some reforms of the civil service system to bring it a little bit more in line with what goes on in what I'm going to describe the real world. You do the equivalent of what this lady did in the real world, and I guarantee you, you're not going to get paid starting from the minute that you are sent out of the office. And if you want to allege that you've been wrongfully terminated or whatever, fine, hire a lawyer and bring a lawsuit, but there's no way you stay on the payroll. Of course, that's what the difference is with civil service. I guess my second question is going to be, and this is what my follow-up would have been, well, how long do you anticipate that this lady who has now at least is accused of a felony but admits to violating the rules of her office, how long is it going to take to get her off the payroll? I mean, is it? are we talking about two days? Are we talking about a week? Are we talking about a month? Can you drag this out for six months? I mean, I don't know the answers to those questions other than that I know that the minute they found out she did what she did, she shouldn't have received one more dime from the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee. But yet that is precisely what's happening. Nice non-work if you can get it. Yes, a number of people are reacting to the story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I just sent out a link to the story as it appears in the local newspaper. And my comment is apparently being fired from the city of Milwaukee. So the mayor has this press conference. She's been fired from the city of Milwaukee. Well, apparently being fired by the city of Milwaukee is not the same thing as being removed from the payroll of the city of Milwaukee. Just un- unbelievable. And I understand that, well, we've got these civil service protections. When you clearly commit both malfeasance and misfeasance, how, how can you stay on the payroll? You just get fired. And then what should happen is if somebody feels that they've been fired unjustly, they can file a lawsuit or whatever. Jeff, this is BS. If you are fired, you get rid of them and you don't pay them. Um, yeah. Wonder if the Election Commission has any openings. I think I might apply since you can apparently get paid for not doing any work. 
Well, that, that's exactly it. She's told, don't come into the office, appropriately so. You lost your email access. Don't do any work. But, hey, I don't know how often they pay people, twice a month, every two weeks, whatever. But, but don't worry. While we discuss with the city attorney and the Civil Service Commission, we're going to continue to give you money. Um, bizarre. Just absolutely bizarre. Okay, a couple thoughts about the election, and then we're going to open up the phone lines on a couple different issues. First of all, as I mentioned to Steve Scafidi, one of the really interesting stories about the election in Wisconsin is voter turnout. Now, voter turnout was up across the state. And as I, the point I tried to make yesterday, this, this election really hammered it at home. Um, it's, it's been going this way for years, but it's really hammered at home. Wisconsin is not a purple state. Wisconsin, geographically, is a bright red state, with the exception of Dane County and Milwaukee County, which are bright blue, deep blue states. Um, Ron Johnson won the state of Wisconsin, excluding Dane County and Milwaukee County, by like 340,000 votes or so. But he ended up losing Milwaukee County and Dane County by like 300,000 ballpark. So, I mean, it's really, it is a tale of two states here that you've got all the Democrat votes, and there's a lot of them, but they are highly concentrated in these two counties. Johnson ended up winning by about 27,000 votes that were cast. In Dane County... I think off the top of my head, the breakdown, huge voter turnout, and it was about Mandela Barnes carried about 77 percent of the vote. So about three out of every four voters um, in Dane County chose to vote for Mandela Barnes. In Milwaukee County, Barnes won big as well, but not quite by as high a percentage. He carried about 70 percent of the vote. So seven out of every 10 voters in Milwaukee County voted for Mandela Barnes. Well, here's the interesting detail. Despite the fact that voter turnout was up across the state, um, in Milwaukee County, this election had 46,000 fewer votes than 2018, which was the last midterm election. So 46,000 fewer people went to the polls in Milwaukee County and voted. So why, why is this significant here? Well, well, work with me on the math. So let, let's say you've got 46,000 more votes out of Milwaukee County, and let's say, for the sake of argument, that that percentage held, that Barnes picked up 70%. Well, um, that turns out to be about 32,200 votes for Barnes, 12, uh, 13,800 votes for Johnson. The difference is around 18,400 votes, if those numbers hold up. Now, Johnson ended up winning by 27,000 votes, so it, it wouldn't have been enough to swing the election if those numbers held. But if that pattern had continued, it would have reduced Johnson's margin of victory to less than 10,000 votes, which at that point in time, you're talking recall. You're not not recall. You're talking like recounts and, and things like that. It would have made a huge difference. And I think one of the things that the Barnes campaign has got to be asking themselves is why what happened to turnout in Milwaukee County. So it's one of these indications. I mean, who knows exactly what happened, but I think that's one of these kind of staggering details that if if turnout had been even what it was 
in 2018 in Milwaukee County, you would have had a Senate race that was decided by less than 10,000 votes. And if you would have been able to, I don't know, juice turn up in Milwaukee County, turn out in Milwaukee County at all, you might have you might have had a different U.S. senator that's there. Just kind of an interesting uh, detail. I'm going to talk about this in just a little bit, but I know, and I saw Joe Biden taking a, a, a sort of a bizarre victory lap yesterday. I mean, people are saying, well, this was this was just terrible for Republicans because you didn't have the red wave. And I think you always have to take spin with a grain of salt. Here, here, here is the deal. I think it is fair to say that Republicans underperformed on Election Day. But having said that, let, let's have some perspective. Republicans are going to take control of the House of Representatives. They're going to end up with somewhere between like 221 and 225 representatives. Nancy Pelosi is not going to be the Speaker of the House. Some Republican estimates suggested it could have been by a broader margin. But the truth of the matter is that they still took back the House. It looks like the governorships are going to stay unchanged. It, the U.S. Senate is kind of up for grabs right now. Looks like it's 49-49. The Georgia race is going to go to a runoff, and in the U.S. Senate seat in Nevada, the Republican is ahead by about 15,000 votes, um, but but who knows exactly what's going to happen, because Nevada is one of these weird states where mail-in votes are counted as long as they are postmarked by Election Day. So we're not going to know until at least Saturday what the final count is. As it stands now, the Republican leads by about 15,000. His campaign is saying there's not enough outstanding votes to um, change this. Uh, the Democrat is saying, no, 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 we're, we're confident we're going to overtake them. I don't know what the answer is. But, but one way or another, let's say the Republican holds, then that, that's 50 Republican seats, and then you win Georgia— you got 51. The Democrat holds, okay, then Georgia, the Republicans win that. If they do, then it's still 50-50. So I look at this and say, yes, was there this tsunami of Republican votes? No. But again, putting things in perspective, you also look at this and say, well, it's it's not like they got wiped out, took control of the House of Representatives. You know, in Wisconsin, uh, they added three assembly seats. They added one seat in the state Senate. Did they get a veto-proof majority? No, but I don't think a lot of us ever thought that that was really going to be possible to happen. I just offer some perspective on this. And I know Joe Biden is, is emboldened by the fact that it wasn't a complete wipeout, but still it's nothing necessarily to be saying, oh, this is this is great. And this is going to we only we only lost one House of Congress, not two. This is the basis for me running for reelection. So you do have to kind of put it in perspective. All right. One other thought. Arizona, the, the Democrats going to win in Arizona, but the governor's race, um, Republican Carrie Lake, she's got forty nine point six six percent of the vote. Katie, um, um, Hobbs has 50.34% of the vote. It's very close. The margin is like 13,000 votes. They're, they only have 70% of the vote counted. How how in the world, a couple days after the election, there are still somewhere uh, in the neighborhood of 500,000 votes in Arizona that have not been counted? How, how you know, you... You know, we, we, we talk about like the Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee election dump that comes around 11 o'clock at night. This is this is a counting process. And because tomorrow is Veterans Day, I'm not sure they do any counting then. Who knows what these numbers are ultimately going to look like? So uh, it's just there's still some bizarre stuff going on with some of these elections. When we come back, he said what a lot of people are thinking. Stick around. One of our listeners asked a very good question. Jeff, why are they going to a runoff election in Georgia? Because here's the way it works in Georgia. 
In order to be elected, you need to win with 50% of the vote plus one. And there was a libertarian candidate who skimmed off around 2% of the vote. So neither Walker nor Warnock, they, they, they weren't able to get to 50%. One of them had 49.5, one of them had 48.6. So neither got to 50%. So you have a runoff election that just has those two people on it, and whoever wins, wins. But it starts completely again. So, you know, if, if you mailed in a ballot before for the November 8th election, you got to mail in a ballot again. It's a completely new election, but that's why it's happened. WDTMJ News Time, 1234. Isn't it amazing that Arizona still has about half a million ballots to cast? <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> I don't get it. I, I don't. I and, just and, don't right, understand. And, and unlike Nevada, now Nevada counts mail-in votes as long as they are postmarked by election day. Correct, yes. they, they get counted, and I think they have to be received by, like, Friday or Saturday. So there, so there is some strength, but they, they, they at least, they, I get that. They at least, there's a process of counting them. But Arizona, that's not it. It's any ballot, you have, the ballot has to be returned by election day. Mm-hmm. So here you are, here we are two days later, and they still have, it's it's not like there's 10,000 out, there's there's half a million yeah. ballots yeah. that are out. They, they just like to take their time, being very deliberate. Well, well, but, you know, okay, we put a man on the moon in 1969. <laughs> no, I mean, see, Here's the classic example. And that took less time. Well, well, right. I mean, you were you were working here. You, know, you remember Bush Gore, two thousand, yeah. yeah, yeah. and the months and months and the hanging, hanging chads, chads in Florida, oh, yeah. where the oh, guys yeah. were like looking at this, staring at the Florida, cars. twenty plus years ago realized that they were a national laughingstock. They realized that this was not, what's the phrase now, good for democracy, and they made a concerted effort that they were going to fix this. And, and now, you know, Florida, which is, what, the third biggest state in the country, I mean, they had their election results. Now, this election wasn't wasn't close, but they had they had all the precincts reported. I mean, by... You, you and knew, they have a hurricane. Right, and, right, <laughs> right. A hurricane is, is heading for the East Coast. They're still getting over Hurricane Ian, yeah. and they got all their ballots counted it, by an large in in a couple hours after the polls close and here you know Arizona there's still half a million ballots mm. that are out it's just it shouldn't be that hard you would think nowadays to figure and I'm not a I'm not a big one for nationalizing elections and things like that but you you would think that, that there are models that are out there and Florida at least proves that it can be done you're right sir <sighs> all right um, we're gonna take a quick break when we come back He says what a lot of us are thinking. I will share it with you. We will discuss. Again, I I understand that there's some people who clearly the Republicans did not pick up as many seats as they, they had hoped to pick up. At the same time, they took control. They took control of the House of Representatives. They they may very well still take control of the United States Senate, and the the number, the the split in governors looks like it's going to be pretty much the same. And that's after picking up a bunch of seats two years ago. So while it wasn't a red tsunami, I, I think. Sometimes, I, if I were the president, I wouldn't be taking a victory lap because, oh, we we didn't lose both houses of the Congress. If if it turns out to be that way, but as we discussed yesterday, you you can't argue with the fact that well, people, you know, Republicans underperformed, and there were a number of states where there were the potential for either Republican holds or Republican pickups that that didn't happen. Um, Pennsylvania which was a, there was a retiring Republican senator, Pennsylvania, uh, Mahmet Oz, 
who was, you know, the, the TV personality, you know, he ended up he ended up losing. So that was a net drop of one for the Republicans. In in New Hampshire, the Democrat incumbent was perceived as very, very vulnerable, and the Republican challenger wasn't able to pull that that off. So, I mean, there were opportunities that were clearly missed. And so now the question is, you know, why why did those why did that happen? And there's two things that I want to share with you. One is a column that appears in the Wall Street Journal today by, by Carl Rove, who was, of course, the architect of the, you know, the of the second President Bush's, you know, administration. Here's what he writes: The red wave never came. What happened in Tuesday's midterms was close to a trickle. As of this writing, we still don't definitively know which party controls the House. It's likely to be the Republicans, but not by much. Before Tuesday, the House had 222 Democrats. That includes two vacant seats and 213 Republican seats. And then, again, the estimate is probably about 224 Republican seats. Um, In the Senate, if Adam Laxalt hangs on in Nevada and Blake Masters fails to stage a dramatic comeback in Arizona, the GOP will be at 50 seats. Control of the Senate will then come down to the December 6th runoff in Georgia. So he goes on. So how do we end up here? President Biden's approval rating is in the low 40s. Almost 70 percent of Americans feel the country is going in the wrong direction. And the election was fought over issues that favored the GOP. Um, Democrats were thought better on abortion, but beyond that, there wasn't much. The answer to the question of why Republicans came up short, this is Karl Rove, was candidate quality. The GOP failed at fielded too many novices who struggled with crafting a message, raising funds, and waging effective campaigns. Some were also knuckleheads with strange beliefs and closets full of problems. Many of these remarkably weak candidates came courtesy of Donald Trump, who didn't vet his endorsements. Even fairly good candidates spent too much time describing problems they wanted to tackle and not enough time on what they proposed to do about them. That left too many candidates with little to commend them except loyalty to Mr. Trump, which few voters cared about. The Losers Tuesday were often the candidates who closely followed the former president's rally script speeches, campaigning on the lie that the 2020 election was stolen from Mr. Trump by fraud on a massive scale. Of the Republican candidates for secretary of state or attorney general who based their campaigns on this falsehood, only one has pulled through, and he was in deep red territory. Um, you know, it then goes on to talk about it, but then he continues, there's no getting around the enormous disappointment for Republicans. The party must nominate better candidates, particularly for statewide office and reject nuts. It must be at least as concerned with providing answers to the nation's problems as with describing those challenges. And its standard bearers must focus on improving the lives of ordinary Americans rather than remaining mired in one man's grievances. If any of this was up for debate before Tuesday, it's undeniable now. Mr. Trump turned what should have been a referendum on Mr. Biden's terrible record into a choice between himself and the current president. And as in 2020, lots of voters chose Mr. Biden. That's that's Carl Rove. So former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, doing an event. He is asked the same question. He says, OK, what you know, what what's the deal why don't you think that this red wave happened? And what are the lessons that we need to learn? And, and here's what he said. Um, he said, I think Trump's a drag on our ticket. I think Donald Trump gives us problems politically. We lost the House, the Senate, and the White House in two years when Trump was on the ballot or in office. I think we just have some Trump hangover. I think he's a drag on our office, on our races. 
Um, then they say, well, what do you, what's going to happen if he announces he's going to run for president? And Ryan says, I mean, I assume he's going to announce, but I honestly don't think he'll get the nomination at the end of the day. We want to win. We want to win the White House, and we know with Trump we're so much more likely to lose. Just look at the difference between votes between Trump candidates and Trump non-Trump aligned candidates. It's really clear to me, and the evidence is pretty stark, that we have an, if we have a nominee not named Trump, we're so much more likely to win the White House than if our candidate is named Trump. Um, then he goes on, but you get the idea. Now, Donald Trump has never been a fan of Paul Ryan and, and vice versa, and they had a very kind of sticky working relationship for the last two years that Paul Ryan was in Congress and the Speaker of the House. But he's coming out and just saying this. Trump is a drag on the ticket. If we want to win the White House in 2024, we, we got to move on from Trump. I will take that one step further. If you want to either take control or retain control of the Senate in 2024, if you want to retain control of the House of Representatives in 2024, Trump's got to go. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I know we discussed this for a bit yesterday, but I think it's just clear and clear and clear that, that Donald Trump's day has come. It has gone. And if the Republicans, for the good of the country and for the good of the Republican Party, they've got to move past Trump. 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Paul Ryan says Trump is a drag on our ticket. And if Trump is the nominee in 2024, Republicans aren't going to win. I agree with him. Jeff, here's some of our texts. Republicans have been following a defeated president who lost by a fairly large margin for two years. I don't think they know how to stop. I don't know about that. Jeff, swing voters are done with Trump. Of course, the base would have to vote for him, especially if it was against Biden. However, with all the swing voters not liking him, it's not only going to cost the presidency. All the down ballot races are going to be lost as well. Jeff, I'm with you 100 percent. Plus, Trump is just not a decent human being. Well, there's always that factor at well. Um, Jeff, if I were a Democrat, I would vote for Trump in the primaries because that's how Democrats could win. Well, yeah, that's why that's why, you know, Trump has to that that's why Donald Trump, you know, needs to make the decision to just not run for president. He needs to be convinced that if he runs, he's going to lose. Jeff, I voted Republican until Trump appeared. For goodness sakes, I even had to vote for Hillary Clinton because of him, and I didn't like Hillary Clinton. I, for one, will continue to vote Democratic until the Republicans dump Trump. Jeff, I agree. This reminds me of the change that took place in the 50s once America grew tired of Joe McCarthy. They moved past it, and I think it's important for the GOP to do that as well. Jeff, President Trump needs to get out of the Republican Party as he's no longer wanted. He should start his own MAGA party and do his own thing. Well, no. I mean, that that's all you do then is you become a spoiler. And, and could I see Donald Trump doing that? Yes. If I can't be the president, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to burn down the house around me. Could I see him doing that? Yes. Would you hope he can avoid the temptation to do it? Yes. Let's talk to Adam in Brookfield. Adam, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Enjoy spring. Um, For a day. If he would have, yeah, if he would have stayed quiet and out of the picture after he left office, the Republicans would have taken the House and the Senate for these midterms. And I and I strongly he almost is like a plant for the Democratic Party because anything touching Trump is dead on arrival and it'll destroy the Republican Party. Yeah, I think so. See, I I mean, and I guess 
there, I, I think it's time for some people to move past the cult of personality. I, I understand, and I've said this before, I understand why he won in 2016. First of all, he wasn't a known commodity. He was, he's the guy that from Celebrity Apprentice, and he had this aura about him, about being this tremendous businessman, and, and people didn't know about a, a lot of the, the excesses and things like that. And let's, let's mention, Hillary Clinton was an extremely uh, controversial and unpopular candidate. Okay, so Trump is the devil that you don't know as opposed to the devil that you do, and he ends up getting elected. Oh, okay, that's fine. And I, I agree with a lot of the stuff that happened during his term. But the problem is he, the the Republican Party and voters in general have outgrown him. This, it's this idea that, okay, we can't have Trump policies without Trump. Nuts to that. There's all sorts of great candidates that are out there for the Republicans, whether it's Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or a variety of them who, you know, represent that kind of mix between like the traditional conservatism and, and some of the new populist stuff, but they don't have all the baggage of Donald Trump. If Donald Trump were somehow to get reelected, and I, I just don't see that that happening, you know, you know, we'd spent four years of this country just him trying to settle scores. And, and haven't we moved past that? But all these commentators are, are right. You look at the candidates that got slaughtered in 2022 and they were people who, in order to get the endorsements of Donald Trump, had to agree to go down this rabbit hole and continue to talk about the 2020 election. Now, I get this from people on the left as well. I just sent a note to one, somebody who texted me who's like, well, yeah, Biden has these problems, but remember Trump in this year? And I'm like, you got to get paid. I mean, 2020 is calling and wants its issues back. You know, for the people who are deranged about Donald Trump, you need to get past that. But Republicans have to, to move on from that as well. And I think that is one of the lessons about what's going on here that, you know, people people want to view things for, for the future, and that the future is not Donald Trump. On the, and as I've said before also, I mean, Donald Trump's going to be 78 years old, for goodness sakes. I mean, can't, and Joe Biden, if he runs again, would be 82. Can't we, can't we find whippersnappers in their 60s or something to run, for goodness sakes? I mean, it's just, it is just so very frustrating to me, and, and I understand this was inevitable when Trump got elected in 2016. But if if people just wanted to ignore what happened in 2018 and ignore what happened in 2020 and now ignore what happened in 2022 and pretend that Donald Trump is the future of the Republican Party, you, you need to really wake up. Donald Trump goes away. And, and he doesn't have to go away mad. But if Donald Trump goes away, clears the field for a, an open discussion. Let's see the Tim Scotts. Let's see the Ron DeSantis. Let's see the Nikki Haley's. Let's whoever else wants to get in there. Let, let's let's start talking about the future. Mike Pence, if Mike Pence wants to get in there, as opposed to, you know, rehashing 2020 and was the election stolen? And, you know, did I make the perfect call, phone call for this and that? No, it is time to move on. Now, I understand Donald Trump is probably not going to go willingly into the good night. He's not going to go quietly into the good night. But it, it's time, I think, for people to recognize once and for all that the cult of personality that Donald Trump inspires isn't winning elections. And what happened the other night, I think, clearly demonstrates that. You can find people who you're going to like on the issues just as much as you like Donald Trump, but they're not going to have anywhere near the baggage. And it's time for Republicans to come to that conclusion. I agree with Karl Rove. I agree with Paul Ryan. I agree with most of the commentators who are looking back and saying, look, this was inevitable. It was foreseeable. And and did 
did the Republicans get wiped out on election night? Of course not. But they should have done better, given that you've got an incredibly unpopular president, given that you've got inflation. Everybody's celebrating that the inflation rate is down to 7.7 percent and gas is four bucks a gallon. Republicans should have done so much better. And yet, you know, and yet they were held back because too many of the candidates had to pledge their loyalty to Trump. Uh, Coming up in about 10 minutes, we are going to firmly grab the third rail of American politics and hope not to get electrocuted. Stick around for that. Today, what is going on in the stock market is one of the it's, it's one of the days and it's one of the reasons why financial advisors say you, you cannot time the market. The stock market has been lousy for a year, right? There's, there's no question about it. But today, because the inflation numbers have come out and they are a little bit better, inflation's only up 7.7% as opposed to 8.2%, the stock market has taken off. The, the NASDAQ is up right now 6.14, about 630 points. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up big as well. It's up uh, 3%, but the NASDAQ is really up. The Dow is up, well, close to 1,000 points right now, close to 1,000 points. And see, here's the problem. If you got frustrated four months ago and you pulled all your money out and you put it, I don't know, in a, in a bank account or you put it under your mattress or whatever because you, you couldn't stand the losses, well, the problem is you miss days like today and you put yourself forever behind the eight ball because when they talk about how stocks historically go up and you know everybody makes money over this period of time it's assuming that you're going to continually be invested you don't know when days like today are going to occur so for everybody who's been frustrated including myself with what's been going on in the market for the last year today is at least one of those days where you say well i got a little bit of it back all right coming up in just a little bit we do touch that electrified rail of american politics stick around Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. And Eric Bilstead, as great as today is, right now, the bottom is getting ready to fall out. <laughs> yes, I mean, yes the, dramatically. The, the bottom is getting ready to fall out. I was, um, I'm on vacation next week, and so I was kind of... Um, thinking, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm hoping maybe we could have gotten like two more days of like nice weather before mm-hmm. I leave. But it's like Saturday, they're talking about like temperatures in the 20s. Yeah, with some uh, dustings of snow, perhaps. And think of that. So today we could even get to 80. Saturday, yeah. It's, highs it's, in the 20s and maybe 30s. in the 20s and the 30s with snow. It's a welcome, welcome to Wisconsin in oh. the in the fall and stuff. But I was like, okay, I'm on vacation next week. Let's just maybe it's a couple more nice days and yeah, then yeah. then I can you know kind of look back. But no, not, not exactly going to happen. So nope. enjoy today. My uh, I, I was at a chiropractor yesterday and he was just all excited. He said, I'm I'm playing golf, you know, and he's a big golfer and he's we talk golf all the time. And he's like, I, I'm 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 going out tomorrow morning. You know, I'm not seeing patients. I'm going out tomorrow morning because I figure I can get one more oh, round yeah. of golf in and today would be the day Today's to do that. The perfect day to Today go is the day after that you just don't know. So all right. Um you know it, it's you know, one of the interesting things we were talking about in the last hour about the number of and I think it's one of the, the, the questions, particularly Democratic strategists are going to have looking at Wisconsin and trying to figure out the Mandela Barnes loss was the fact that forty six thousand people fewer in Milwaukee County voted in 2022 than they did in 2018. You know, voter turnout across the state was up, but it was down in Milwaukee County. And, you know, one of the things, remember Barack Obama came in the, the right before the election and he had this big rally at North Division High School and he was going to turn out the vote and things like that. And, and it, it apparently didn't work. 
or at least didn't work to any large extent. I think there's going to be a lot of soul searching, figuring out, okay, what 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 happened? Where where did this go wrong in a year where this Republican red wave didn't happen, but yet you had voter turnout in one of the you know two populist areas in the state where if Democrats are going to win, they need to have big turnout. So I'll, I'll leave that to political scientists. All right, after the election, and I just yesterday we got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of texts, and and just one of the texts. Many were many were great, but one's really stuck out to me. It was from one of our listeners who said, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I'm really worried now that Ron Johnson has been reelected because he wants to eliminate Social Security. And I, I was going to send the text back to this, but but I, I thought I'd turn this into a topic. Um, for people out there who, who might be worried that Ron Johnson wants to eliminate uh, Social Security, that's a lie. There, there's nothing farther from the, the truth. Matter of fact, Ron Johnson, when you know, whenever he's been on, says that he he wants to preserve Social Security, and he thinks Social Security needs to be a priority. And the only way you can really do that is if you assess Social Security on a regular basis and make sure that it's being funded appropriately. That is far different from wanting to eliminate Social Security. But here, here's the problem: if you talk about Social Security and you talk about making any sort of alteration to it, what ends up happening is that's it. You you get the the ads that are out there, and so and so wants to eliminate Social Security. He wants to take away all your benefits. I want to scare people. You know, Medicare is going to go away. You're not going to be able to be on Social Security. You are going to starve. And and these are just lies. And this has been going on for you know as long as I have been around politics. The problem with this is it gets in the way of the reform that needs to happen. See here, and this is where we're going to touch that electrified rail. Here is the reality. This is this the let let's let's be honest here. More and more of us are thankfully living longer, and that's a good thing. But that means that those of us are living longer, we're drawing more from Social Security. In addition, the baby boomers, you know, that explosion, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a baby boomer myself, they're, they're hitting Social Security age, 62, 63, 64, 65, up to 70. And so you have people who are living longer, good thing, and you have more and more people who are coming into the system on a regular basis, which is putting a strain on the system. I think everybody understands the way Social Security works, at least I hope you do by now. You, you, it's not like a bank account. That money that you put in over the course of your lifetime doesn't go into a bank account where it's saved. What happens is the money that those of us who are paying into Social Security do, that we get credit for that, but it's not like it's segregated in a separate bank account that we can draw on. The money that we pay in, everybody that's paying into Social Security, is used to pay out to the people who are drawing Social Security. And we are getting to the point, we'll go into this in just a minute, but we are getting to the point quickly where the amount of money going into Social Security is less than the amount of money that is being paid out by Social Security. Now, right now, there are excess funds that are there. So you can cover it. It's kind of like, okay, I've got you know $200,000 sitting in a bank account, just to take my example, and my income was 
$100,000 last year, and my expenses were $120,000. So I need to draw $20,000 from my bank account to cover that. Okay, just think of it that way. Well, that's fine. You know, you've got the money that's in your bank account so that you can cover it. But if you keep overspending your income by $20,000 a year, so you have to keep taking twenty grand out of your bank account, well, pretty soon there's not going to be anything in your bank account. So you're either going to have to... I don't know, you know, figure out you're going to have to cut. Okay, I can't I can't spend, you know, $100,000 every year. I've got to take less or figure out a way to earn more money yourself. That that's just the reality and that is happening with social security. So here here is here is the deal. Trustees of social security estimate that the main social security trust fund will be insolvent in 2034 meaning the demands are going to exceed the amount that is in the excess fund and the amount coming in. It's going to be insolvent, and therefore it says forcing cuts in benefits if Congress doesn't do something to avoid them. Medicare, and of course we we all pay into Medicare. Your employer pays Medicare tax. You pay Medicare tax. They estimate that the key Medicare trust fund is going to run out of money in 2028, so we can just stick our heads in the sand and we can say, okay, well, we, we can't talk about Social Security because if we say we're going to look at doing something different, then we're going to be accused of eliminating Social Security. Now, what Ron Johnson was saying, and you can argue about whether it's the right idea or not, he said, look, we just can't put this on autopilot. What we have to do is we have to, you know, as part of a budgetary process, you know, we, we have to look at Social Security on a biannual basis or whatever and make sure that this is a priority and that the money is there to cover this. Now, that turns into he wants to eliminate Social Security. Okay, and this is why you, you can't have these conversations. But the truth of the matter is, unless we do something, we're, we're looking at real problems not that long away, in the next decade or, or maybe even sooner, as inflation causes, you know, more, you know, puts an even greater draw on the Social Security Trust Fund. So there, there's a number of different options that are out there. One is to cut back the benefits of people who are on it now. One is to increase the tax that you pay right now on Social Security uh, for next year, once you make $160,000, you, you stop having to pay that 6.2% Social Security tax, um, and that's up from 143000 this year. One of the arguments would be, okay, let's not put a cap on it. Let's charge that excess tax regardless of how much money that you end up making. That, that's an idea that is, that is out there to try to generate more money. One of the ideas is let's delay the full retirement age. You know, people are living longer. Let's have people work a little bit longer. So presumably, you know, that would— cause some people to stop drop, drawing Social Security as soon. But, you know, these are all different ideas that are, that are up for debate. But we, we can't even talk about this nowadays because the politically charged climate is such that if you even mention, hey, I want to take a, take a look at Social Security, that, that what, what people hear or what opponents say is that means he wants to eliminate Social Security instead of saying, hey, we got to figure out a way to keep this solvent. All right, our number. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Let's have a discussion about this. What needs to be done? Because I really firmly believe that we've got to do something. And I don't think you can cut benefits for the people that are on Social Security now. 
that has been a promise that's made. I don't think that you can, for people who are close to retirement age, I, I don't think you can say, okay, we're going to have a material change in Social Security, and we're going to say that you expected to get X amount of dollars a month, but you know, we don't think you need it because maybe you've got some, you know, you've got money stashed away, so we're not going to give it to you. I don't think that's fair, but you got to figure out a way to keep this solvent. So, what would you do? Eight five five. 616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Understanding that anything you say you're going to do would be translated into a political ad saying that you want to starve senior citizens, put everybody on that ice float, and just send them out into the Atlantic Ocean. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line, and and this is just one of these issues. We're talking about Social Security and, and Medicare to an extent that you, you, we can't have an honest discussion about this in our our country because it, it turns into that thirty second or that sixty second political attack ad. And you saw that happen with with Ron Johnson. Oh, he wants to eliminate Social Security. It, it's going to be gone. Uh, what Johnson was saying is no. It, we we got to figure out a way to make this a priority. And his suggestion was, I, I think we we you know take this up as part of the budget every two years, understanding that this has got to be one of the priorities. We can't allow this to continue to happen. Now, you might agree with that or disagree with it, but, but you can't even talk about it nowadays. And the truth of the matter is the Social Security Trust Fund is going to be insolvent in about the next decade. All right, what do we do? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Chris in Elm Grove. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Chris. Um, one thing I would like to see is there's so many people who've never paid into it, yet they're reaping uh, SSI and SSDI benefits. And I'm not saying those people shouldn't be taken care of in some way, but I don't think it should fall under the responsibility of Social Security. I believe Social Security should only be those and the descendants of those who paid into it. I guess I, I guess I'm not. The thanks for call, Chris. I guess I'm not. My understanding, and 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 maybe there's some nuance there. I mean, my understanding is that in order to qualify for Social Security and, and the SSI payments, you need to have X amount of qualifying quarters in. You know, you, you need to have like 40 credits or whatever. If you don't meet that, you're not going to be eligible. On top of that, my understanding, and, and again, you can if you're a spouse and, and your your spouse has that, you know, you can qualify for spousal benefits and things like that. I, I guess I I when it comes to Social Security for people who haven't paid in, I guess I don't know how many people are, I guess I'm just not familiar with people who are collecting who haven't paid in. Uh, let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I've got a couple of things to say, and I hope you will let me talk and finish my statements. Number one, you got to tell the, the politicians to quit saying it's not an entitlement. That's their favorite line. Yes, it is an entitlement. I paid in. I am entitled to get that. When they say it's not, they put people on defensive right away because people think they're coming after them. That, that's a poor choice of words on their part. Number two, Ron Johnson says he wants to look at it every two years as part of the budget. Okay, every two years, if it's not going right, he certainly isn't going to give you more. They will cut it. And why else would they look at it? 
He says the Democrat spending is out of control. Okay, Mike, I want, I want to, I want to kind of put Mike. No, 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 no Mike, no, Mike. I'm, okay, Mike, no, I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I, I'm not going to let you hijack the program and, and go off on the, and, and go off on the, the side trips. I mean, my, what I want to talk about is, is what do we need to do, you know, moving forward? And that, that's the, and, and I mean, if you want to say, oh, it's not an entitlement or Ron Johnson wants to do this, I, I, tell me what the solution is for something that is going to be insolvent. Because I, this is a big deal. Look, I'm, I don't collect Social Security now, but I plan to collect Social Security at some time in the near future. I'm, I'm on board with this. I want to have a constructive conversation about what is it that we can do instead of this, well, if you want to review it every two years, that means that you want to cut it. No, not necessarily. I mean, I guess it's possible that that could happen, but I would argue that re- looking at it every two years and making it part of the budget process is better than allowing it to go bust in the next decade. But that's just me. Uh, let's see, Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think we need to start at a baseline in regards to educating the public. What is SSI? How is it funded? Where the money goes when you pay out your paycheck every week? Get them an understanding of how the system actually works. With that being said, that allows people to have to be more educated into holding their politicians a little bit more accountable for what they're seeing mm-hmm. on the public platforms for political reasons. Most people, when you talk to them, I come into a contact with a lot of people, they don't really quite understand how it is set up and how yeah. it works. They don't realize that the money I'm paying for right. is actually funding for my parents' Social Security benefits. Right. Yeah. They don't quite understand. They think it's like this big savings account, but it's right. not. It's right. more yeah, no, thanks for call, Jeremy. Also, and, and I think people don't understand that employers pay into that. Your your employer, you pay 6.2% up to next year, it's going to be $160,000 of income. Your employer pays 6.2% up to that, that level as well. Same thing is true with Medicare. You pay 1.2%. I think your employer pays 1.2%. But I think there is a lot of I think there's a lot of confusion. One of our texters, Jeff, I'm 71. All I live on is Social Security. What will I do if they cut it? Well, right. Then, then you're going to be in trouble, which is why, why we, we, we need to figure out a way for Social Security to remain solvent. I mean, that, that's just it, uh, particularly for the people who are in, on Social Security now or the people who are near Social Security. And you want to also inspire faith in the system for the people that are in their 20s and their 30s that are paying into this. But we, we need to have some honest conversations about how are we going to do this? Because if you just pretend, oh, there's no problem, we, we can't have these discussions at all, well, okay, th- then pretty soon, like my example, your, your bank account is empty. Look, these are very, very difficult questions. I, I think when it comes to Social Security, you have to make a commitment to make sure that people who are on it, their, their benefits are not cut, that people who are nearing retirement, their benefits aren't cut. And it seems to me that there, there's, there's only a couple ways that you do this. One is that you have to increase the amount of money that people pay into this, and you do that by upping, I think, the income limit, and that's that's just the reality, but I think that that's inevitable. Secondly, I think what you do is you do have to look at delaying the full retirement age as people grow older and they work longer. You have to look at ways that maybe you can delay the full retirement age, and I'm not saying until 75 or something like that, but you have to do stuff on both ends or else – 
it, it becomes insolvent. That That's just the, the bottom line. And I guess it really is frustrating to me that you have some people who can't get past their, their political hatred, that they don't realize that there is this problem that's out there that we need to figure out a way to address to guarantee the promise of Social Security for everybody, not just the people who are on it, not just the people who are near it, but the people like young Mike Spaulding here who are going to be paying into it for a long, long time. Yeah, there's a number of people that are texting in. The way it—see, people just don't understand, I think, the way Social Security works in many different respects. And and there is a limit. Right now, once you— once you you make 140, you pay 6.2 percent of your income into Social Security tax, but that's capped at right now. It's 143,000. So, and, and the people say, "Well, why is there a cap on it?" Well, it's because there, there's a cap on your benefits ultimately. So, you know, we've we've made this decision that, um, you know, that there's only there's only so much money that you should have to pay in given what you're going to get out on the back end. That cap goes up to $160,000 next year because it's adjusted for inflation. But I think one of the things they're going to have to look at is not I don't think I don't think you can blow the cap entirely, but they're going to have to look at I think substantially raising that. You know, one of the points that a number of texters make and they're absolutely correct, there there's the fact that over the last couple years we have had so many people Drop out of the workforce does not help Social Security at, at all. And I'm not just talking about people who are early retirement, but I think this this decision that you had the politicians to make over the last couple of years that essentially incentivized people not working. And, you know, because if you're not working, you're not paying into Social Security. I, I think that's that's been a drag as well. And the more people we get back to working and the less incentives and the less cushion we have for people to not participate in the system and not work. Because if you're not working, you're not paying that money in. Um, that's that's another factor. If we could, and I understand the unemployment rate is like 3.2%, people say, well, that's that's not bad. Well, that, that doesn't count people who are have just decided they're not going to work. And they're just going to, again, figure out other ways to get by. The more people we get into the workforce, the better it is because that's the more people that are paying into this, and that helps forestall the the Social Security crisis that's coming out there. So whatever answers you, you take, it's, it's fine. You'll come to that conclusion. But but we, we have to be able to talk about it. And unfortunately, just the, the political – Thunder is so much that you can't you can't do that without oh my gosh I'm my social security is going to be cut I'm going to starve and all those things and I don't know that there's any politician Republican or Democrat who who is advocating a cut in benefits all people are talking about is how do we what do we need to do to make sure that this is a priority that, that's out there. And whether it's assessing it every two years and saying, oh my gosh, look where we are today, we need to, we need to bulk this up, or whether it's just sticking your, your head in the sand. I mean, candidly, I, think, I don't think reassessing it every couple years, depending on how you do it, is that bad an idea. Just like, in my example, if you're spending $20,000 more than you're bringing in every year, I don't think it's anything wrong with saying, okay, this has been going on for a year and a half. I got to I gotta take a minute and look at this. I can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I, I, need to, I need to figure out how to make an adjustment. And whether that's, I don't know, maybe I'm not going to go on a vacation this year, or whether it's maybe I got to take a second job, or maybe it's 
um, what, whatever, I have to take less money out of my bank account. You know, in, in the real world, we all reassess based on, you know, what's going on in the economy and what's going on with our personal checking accounts and with the idea to keep ourselves solvent. But we can't even talk about doing that with regard to Social Security because people decide they want to demonize this and fly off the handle. And that's one of the frustrating things. All right. I have been waiting for a while. to We get, get caught, so caught up in the election conversations that got all these interesting stories that I want to discuss with you. And this one kind of comes back to something we talk about from time to time, the, the whole question of is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior? Let me tell you the story of Casey Funderburg. Casey Funderburg um, was, up until, well, a couple weeks ago, she was a sports reporter for the University of Tennessee, and she was a sideline reporter for the University of Tennessee football team. You know, so they'd, the University of Tennessee's football team is, you know, what ranked in the top five uh, of the country, you know, really good team. She was one of the sideline reporters. She was the sideline reporter that, that went there. She's a University of Tennessee graduate. She was a full-time employee in the athletic department. She was an on-air personality for um, their their weekly radio call-in show for University of Tennessee coaches. She was intricately intricately involved in in the operation of of the University of Tennessee on their sports programming, and she was viewed by many people as one of these sort of rising stars in in the industry. Right now, she was working for the University of Tennessee, but they thought, okay, she's got a lot of potential to get out of you know, the University of Tennessee and maybe go to ESPN or something like that. Now, you will notice that I have been using the term was working there. She was the sideline reporter. She was the sports reporter. Well, that's because she no longer works for the University of Tennessee. She she was dumped. She was fired. Um, I guess technically she was allowed to resign, but this is, you know, but, but she was not given an opportunity. If she hadn't resigned, she would have been fired. Okay, so so what happened? Now again, she's 26 years old. What happened was a few weeks ago there was there was one of these bloggers who uh, they, they describe the guy as like a like a troll. And you know, what happened is this this on Twitter, this this person um you know, Tennessee was having this they were playing Kentucky, the football team, and you know that the teams do, you know, teams do like whiteouts and things like that. Like I know Penn State does a whiteout, and everybody comes, you know, dressed in in you know white. That that's the type of thing. This is something that that happens from time to time. Um, my Marquette basketball team, I think they'll they'll do things where they encourage everybody to wear gold or something like that. But this is not an uncommon thing. You know, everybody show up. You know, you're wearing the white T-shirt, things like that. So a couple of weeks ago, Tennessee was doing, they were encouraging, they were wearing their, what they called dark mode, black uniforms when they were going to play against Kentucky. So, you know, they, it's like the Packers, they have different uniforms. So they were wearing their, their dark uniforms. This Twitter account, um, and it's one of these trolls, posted, all fans will be asked to wear black clothes and paint their face all black as well. All right, so that's what the Twitter account was. Thunderberg responds to this, this troll, and says, Look, Tennessee fans, this is a fake account. This isn't funny. It's disgusting that this person thinks putting out a joke like this is okay. Please don't believe everything you read on Twitter. 
And then she wrote on later, a person who thinks it's funny to put out that Tennessee is asking fans to wear blackface is disgusting. This is where I stand. So she calls out this this poster who is saying, hey, you know, Tennessee, they're, they're going to be wearing black uniforms. They want their fans to wear black, and they want to put them in blackface. Okay, so she, she denounces that, lest anybody would think that that was a legitimate thing. Well, what happens is the guy that posted this gets mad that she has responded to him. And so apparently what happens is the guy— the poster, is able to go back and look at her Twitter and Instagram accounts from years and years ago. And it turns out that, well, she's 26 now, nine, 10 years ago, when she was 16 and 17, so she's in high school, apparently she posted some things on Twitter and on Instagram She posted some tweets using offensive and or, you know, racist language. And so, I mean, I don't, she's a high school kid. Okay, so this is 10 years ago, and she posts stupid racist stuff. Now, I don't think my understanding is it's not like this consumed her Twitter account, but she's got a couple postings that use words that, you know, you're not supposed to use and you shouldn't use and things like that. So this guy that she has called out gets mad at her and so goes into her account, finds stuff that she put up there from 10 years ago when she was 16 and 17 years old, makes it public and says, look, she's, she's a racist. Look at the things that she posted 10 years ago when she was in high school. And as a result of that, she was essentially forced to resign. She says, look, I sincerely apologize for using offensive language and to anyone I hurt or offended with those remarks. I take full responsibility for my actions. This language that I used is not appropriate in any context, and it's not been part of my vocabulary since then, which would be 10 years ago when she was a kid. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, these aren't racist or offensive texts that she posted this year or last year. This goes back to when she was in high school. My question is, should this be disqualifying? Should she have been forced out of her job? Should she, you know, be, be hired? Is, you know, if, if, she were to apply for another job as a sports reporter for the Bucks radio network or the Packers radio network or the Brewers network or ESPN or whatever. Should she not be hired because of this offensive stuff that she put up 10 years ago when she was in high school? Our number, 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620. One of our texters correctly said, Jeff, didn't the same thing happen to Josh Hader a couple years ago? It did. Remember the first year that he was scheduled to be an all-star game pitcher, um, tweets or Facebook postings or something surfaced from when he was 15 or 16 or 17 years old in high school where he used racist language and things like that. And, you know, this was, we, we had this whole conversation. Okay, what, well, what do you do? Well, in the case of Josh Hader, you know, he's still pitching, but, you know, he can throw a fastball like 95, 99, 100 miles an hour. In this case, you've got this sideline reporter who has now been kind of forced out of her job. I forget kind of. She's been forced out of her job because some troll found racist comments that she made when she was in high school 
and she had posted on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and she's now been forced out of her job. My question is, does this end her? Does this end her career? Should it end her career? She has apologized for this. She said, "Look, this is this was something. I, there's no excuse for it, but this is something I did when you know I was a kid, and I, I don't use those terms. I don't think in those terms moving forward." Jenny in Grafton. Jenny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. I, I was going to say the same thing that your texter said. I sure hope this doesn't end her career. I mean, when we're in high school and learning and growing, and aren't we always continuing to learn and grow? Um, I, I find it very sad that she was forced to retire. I mean, apologize for those things is all great and all of that. But, you know, for the love of God, I hope the rest of us never make a mistake in life and then try to correct it and move on. Will she be because able to, will she be able to go over overcome it? I mean, if if she were to you know, if she were to apply I tomorrow. Sure hope so. Yeah, do you think though? Um, yeah, I I do too. I uh, think I hope so. It's unfortunate too that I have to make a comment regarding the university system and that this seems to be their reaction to anything that might just be a little bit touchy also. Yeah. Instead of helping her, maybe, you know, talking with her, counseling with her, and finding out where she is today, right. we're just going to make you, we're going to fire you. So unfortunate because, again, as I said, it's, you know, none of us make a mistake. None of us say something maybe at one point in our lives we shouldn't have said. Right. I, I don't believe that. I think everybody has. Yeah, no, thank you. Well, and I, 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 I no, I'm, yeah, yeah, thanks. I mean, I'm, see, I, I'm, I'm with you. And it, it's one thing, plus, okay, let me, let me see a show of hands. Everybody out there that didn't do or say something stupid, inappropriate, offensive um, back when, when they were in high school. All right. I mean, I don't know that I see too many hands that are, that are going up there. And I'm not condoning what this lady did. You know, if there was evidence that as an adult, you know, that she had been engaging in racist behavior or things like that, of course you fire her. I, I understand that. But that's, that's not what this is. And actually, the irony of this is, this troll got mad at her because she called out a racist tweet. She said, "Look, I'm, I'm a, United, you know, the, implying that University of Tennessee would have people showing up in blackface. That's racist and inappropriate. It's not funny. So this is, I, I guess, you could say she's a hypocrite. But I, I don't even think that's fair. It's stuff that happened again ten years ago. I think there has to be." Even in today's woke society, there has to be a some sort of statute of limitations on on bad behavior, and or or else, you know, people. I mean, we we talk about gee, we think people who serve time in jail, we think felons should you know have the opportunity to be rehabilitated or whatever. I seriously question though whether she's ever going to be able to work in the media again. Can you imagine if you know any time she would she would apply for ESPN or, or whatever, you know, whatever sports network, you know, and they're going to say, okay, what did you do? Oh, you were the gal from the University of Tennessee who got forced out because back in high school you said these racist things. Well, even though we represent, we understand that that's not who you are right now, and even though we understand you're incredibly qualified, we can't hire you because if we hire you, we're going to create our own, you know, Twitter storm that's out there, and we just don't need that aggravation. So I, I just, I I mean, part of the lesson here, and a couple people are texting this, and you're absolutely right, this is another reason why you, you tell your kids and you consider yourself, you know, what you put out there on the internet, you know, you got to understand, it's going to be out there forever. Now, I would hope you wouldn't have to tell people not to use, you know, racist terms or things like that, but whatever you put out there is going to be out there, and it can certainly come back and bite you in the you-know-where um, at some point in time. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, good. How's life? 
Life is good, my friend. What do you um, think? That is... Dave, I'm sorry, Dave. You're, I apologize. Your cell phone was kind of cutting out there. Um, so I think Dave was Dave was going to say that you know what, whatever happens here should be between her and her future employer. I, I I agree, but again, how how do you can can you, can you imagine this? You know, let let's play you know let's play this out. Some regional sports network or some TV station or whatever needs to hire a sports reporter, and she meets all the qualifications. She applies. They look at it and say, "Oh, you've got all these qualifications. You've got this background. You know this. You know that. You know the other thing. You're you're smart. You've got the experience." Then you say, "Okay, you know why did you leave the University of Tennessee? Oh, you're that. Um, you're that sideline reporter. You're that Casey Funderburg." Um, you'd hope somebody somewhere would give her a chance, but in today's environment, I'm not sure that that's gonna. I'm not sure that's gonna happen, and that that's too bad. If this woman is an avowed racist and is doing stuff that embarrasses her employer, well, of course you get rid of her. But on the other hand, you know, ten years ago, um, this is one where you know I, I think a lot of us have to think back on the stuff that we might have said when we were 15 or 16 or 17, and. and perhaps be glad that Al Gore hadn't invented the internet back then. All right, coming up in the two o'clock hour, we've got a lot of stuff to discuss, including the Mitchell Park domes, electric rates, and the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink, drink specials. All that and a lot more is coming up. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Mike Spaulding, before you leave, I was talking about this with Eric Bilstead earlier. Are you handy? Do you fix stuff around your house? Uh, slightly, yes. Okay, so I was telling this story. I um, we, we have a clothes dryer. It's only about four or five years old, and it was making this like awful squealing noise, and my wife is out of town, so I thought I'm going to be a good husband. I'm yeah. going to find somebody, come out to the house, fix this. You know, so so she can wash clothes and dry when of course, she comes yeah. back. Okay, but, but so I, there's some self interest as well. So the guy comes out. Tom, nice guy, comes out today. I, I described this to him over the phone. I said, "Sounds like it's a belt." He says, "No, no, it's a, it's a." Sounds to me like it's a bearing that you've got that's wearing out. Okay, that's fine. So I mean, I, I have I, I have no idea how to do this, and it wouldn't occur to me to try to fix a a clothes dryer or something like that, YouTube or, or notwithstanding. So anyhow, he, he comes out there and he says, "Yeah, that, that's it. This is I'm, it's it's a bearing. Here, I'll take care of it." But to get to the bearing, he had to take the dryer apart, and and I mean, I mean, I mean, take it apart. I mean that the top comes off. The door comes off. The panel that's holding the door comes off. You have to unplug all the electronics. And I'm watching that you take the, take the drum out. <laughs> There's this, I'm, I'm standing, the dog and I are standing there. My dryer is all over the, the laundry room. And I'm going, you do know how to put this back together again, don't you? I've, I've never seen anything like this. It's, and of course, and then he showed me, yeah, this is the part. See, it's all, it's kind of, it's sort of worn out. And here, you, I'll, I'll, I'll replace it and it'll be just absolutely fine. But I'm like, Man, I mean, this is this is certainly not something that you could do by yourself at home. That's one of those instances when I'm sure you were very happy to have decided to call someone and not do it yourself. One of my biggest fears is that you're, I'm going to get into something that I don't know how to get out of. Uh huh. Right. And then you're really stuck. I, I'm. I'm. And I'm not. I'm not kidding. At one point in time, there were at least 24 different screws. That were, were, you know, he's putting them in like different places because you're taking one part off after another after another. And <laughs> once I saw the drum coming out, you know, the big dryer drum, once I saw that coming out, I'm going, you, you have to, and of course they don't make these so they're easy to service. I'm thinking, you would think that 
you would design this so that you could get at some of these parts without having to take the whole thing apart, but... I guess the answer is no. You would think you would think you have. Have you ever gotten too deep into a project and then had to call the expert to come uh, and they go, OK, what are you I, doing? I bought I purchased my first home in 1988. Mm-hmm. All right. And it the, the home I used to live in, Whitefish Bay, lived there for 30 years, was in the National Register of Historic Homes. It was a wonderful home. It was the first part of the home was going on 100 years old and that had been built on to for various things so you've got all these different nooks and crannies and it's got like 19 it's got 1920 type of construction and then there's another room that might be 1940 construction so to answer your question yes it, when i first moved in it's like okay i can i can handle this and i quickly learned that when it comes to plumbing or electricity, and there's probably other areas as well, but plumbing and electricity, not only can I not fix it, but I typically make it worse. <laughs> so yes, I bail. Yeah, no, I've I've luckily never been in the position to where I I accidentally started unscrewing something and couldn't screw it back. And I have right. been in a couple of precarious positions. So we had to replace our. I'm sure everyone loves listening to this. Our faucets in our in our bathtub. Uh huh. I was like, I think I could probably do that. Mm. Did it first time I turned it on. I hear this noise down in the basement that shouldn't be there uh-huh. my wife walks down there it's pouring water into our basement <laughs> and uh I, I it turns out i didn't just screw something in tight enough but that was like my first and i was like oh i don't know if i know how to do this luckily i figured it out and got it handy but no i i, I yeah no it's i'm happy to help but if we're taking apart a mechanical thing i'm probably right. no, out. My, no my, my deal is with all the people on my repair list is if if they don't do a talk radio show i promise i'm not going to take apart the dryer or Try to deal with electricity, and, and I understand some of the stuff is is simple, but still, I just I did not get that gene in my family, and so it's like okay, I'm at a point in my life where I can afford to pay to have it fixed, and I, I can't do it. It's like it's like people change people to this day still change their own oil in their cars, and that that was a big thing when I was growing up. I know how to do it. No way I would do it. Just no way. Yeah, same. I don't change my. Life. I used to. I used to. But I, I once we moved into a, we moved into an apartment when we first moved here, and obviously you're not going to be the jerk who's changing your oil in an right apartment in parking yeah, lot. Like no one wants that guy to be living by them. So yeah. I stopped, and we have not gone back. But yeah, I always tell my wife we're contributing to the local economy. Well, in any event, I, I just I like to know how stuff works, and I just I had never seen a dryer taken apart and put it on my laundry room floor before. But but he was able to get it all back together again. So that was I was. I was just impressed. I thought, man, this is something. I have a slop sink replacement I got to do with the the faucets <laughs> leaking. Jeff, if you want to come over this weekend and no, help me out. No, no, I, no. I, I was no help. I mean, the only thing I, I said is once once he was in there and once it got all taken apart, I said, I think I'm going to take the dog for a walk. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm, a, I'm a big, hey, if you need anything, let me know. Other than that, yeah. I'm going to stay out of your way. Can I offer you some coffee or a bottle of water? Exactly. That's more like that. Absolutely. So I, I now know what all the parts of a dryer look like. Okay. Um, I we've talked about this before, but the issue continues to not go away. The Mitchell Park domes. For those of you who are not familiar with this, you know they're they're just to the south of you know I ninety four. The domes have been there since the mid to late nineteen sixties. They are three domes. And if you haven't seen them, what happens is each one has like a different theme, but they, they, they have flowers, they have cactuses, they have things like that. It's, it's a nice place to go. Okay, if you've been there, chances are, I mean, like high schools, a lot of times they take field trips to the domes. It's particularly fun in the dead of winter. It's January. You go and all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, this is like spring or summer somewhere. So the, I, I, I appreciate what the domes offer. At the same time, did I mention they were built in like the 60s and they are falling apart? I mean, it's just like anything. You know, you have older construction and the, the stuff, the way things were built in the 1960s 
Well, it has a certain time, and after that certain time, things are, are going to start to deteriorate. And at Mitchell Park Domes, you had one dome where you got giant chunks of concrete that were falling off, et cetera, et cetera. In order to restore the domes, to really you know, make them something that continues to be viable, the estimates are it's going to cost somewhere between 60 and 75 M as in million dollars. Right? It's, it's a huge expense. And some people who were trying to save the domes recently, recognizing that there's not any good idea as to where the 60 or $75 million are going to come from, what they wanted to do is the Milwaukee County Board approved legislation that would authorize the Parks Department to go and try to have the Mitchell Park domes designated as the, on the National Register of Historic Places. This, the thinking was, if, if they did that, it would make it a lot more difficult for the domes to be torn down if, if we came to the conclusion that it, there just wasn't money to replace them. Well, Milwaukee County, um, the Milwaukee County Executive, David Crowley, has just, has just vetoed that, that listing. He said, no, no, we're, we are not going to do this. I, I want to keep our options on the table, and I mean, I, I think we have to figure out you know, what, what's going on here. He said, I'm not for or against the designation or demolition, but I, I don't want to commit myself to opposing the idea that maybe the thing that makes the most sense is to just demolish the things, recognizing that it's nice, but we just, in Milwaukee County, which is effectively broke, Milwaukee County, which is still suffering from the pension scandal, Milwaukee County, which is going to have to replace the safety building sometime soon, you know, like where the jail is. You, you go over to that courthouse, and I'm telling you, if, if OSHA ever walks through there, they're going to close the thing down. So, you know, that's going to be a couple hundred million dollars. You've got the park system that has all these other problems. You've got, you know, the, the zoo that's going to constantly need money. You know, there, there's all these demands that are out there for money. And in order to do what needs to be done with the domes, you're, you're probably talking about 60 to $70 million that, that we don't have, or at least that Milwaukee County doesn't have. And the county executive said, look, you know, our, our county's financial situation has to be the primary frame for every plan for the domes. And the, the idea is that we, we just might not have the money to continue to support this. All right, I, I, I like the domes. I, I do. I've been to the domes a handful of times in all the years that I have lived here, but I, I can't remember the last time I went. If probably you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And I understand that there's some hardcore people who go on a regular basis. And I, I'm not, I'm not anti-domes necessarily, but I do think sometimes we have to prioritize stuff. And just because something has been there for forever, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to continue to have it there forever. So let's tee this up. One segment, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. The county executive, while not taking a position on demolishing uh, the domes, wants to keep his options open and is, is not willing to go down this historic register placement thing because he knows that would be more, t- uh, more difficult to tear it down. For me, if if the option is trying to come up with 60 to 75 million dollars to save the domes and that money is going to come at the expense of other things whether it's the park system or whatever that more people use well then i say maybe it's time to end the domes now my producer charlie was just at the domes he said a couple of weeks ago i said what do you think of it he said well you know i i like two of the three domes they were they were nice 
and and that's 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 good. I, I have nothing against the domes, other than the fact that I, I you, other than the fact that I don't think there's enough people that are going there to support spending sixty to seventy five million dollars to refurbish them, rebuild them, whatever. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think we should do? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Hi Jeff. I think it's time for the domes to be retired. Back when I was a kid, we would go there and field trips, and it was really neat to see the different ecosystems that the dome showcased. The kids are pretty well traveled today, and I think they've already seen them and experienced it, so they can get much of that online. And honestly, if you can upgrade the parks and get more people outside and utilizing those, I think it's better than refurbishing something that's really pretty antiquated. Well, that's it. And this discussion, it's not about. You know, are, are the domes cool? It's not about are, are they fun. It's about, you know, in today's day and age, you have to make decisions when you have limited amounts of, of money. And if you're asking me, okay, we, we, you know, Milwaukee County, which is, like I say, it's effectively broke. You've got all these different challenges. And you say, all right, we, we've somehow managed to come into this pot of money. We've got, we've got 60 to $75 million. And, you know, how can we best spend it? Can we best spend it by, you know, investing in the, the park system as a whole? Can we best spend it investing in the zoo? Can we best spend it in, you know, refurbishing some of the decaying buildings? The courthouse is a classic example, that particularly safety building. You, you ask these different questions. And, um, MacArthur Square is going to need all sorts of work. And, and we don't have the money to begin with. So you do have to, I think, start prioritizing stuff. And, and at some point in time, just because something's been around forever— doesn't mean that you, you keep doing it. The example I always give when we talk about this, and this is something if you haven't lived here for any length of time, I appreciate you don't know what I'm talking about, but it used to be in the summer. We had this this thing called the Circus Parade, and what would happen is, you know, it was the, the Circus Museum out of Baraboo or whatever. They would come in, and it was it, they, they'd set up a circus down at the lakefront, and they'd stage this huge parade that, you know, people would— you know, people would line the streets to see, and it used to draw. They always inflated the numbers of people that watched it, but it used to be an incredibly popular thing. And it was the uh, same weekend. I think they ran Bastille Days, as I recall. But you know, it it, it was great, and people you know, would come down to see it, and they enjoyed it. And then what happened is, fewer and fewer people went to it every year, and eventually they they ended up. Um, eventually, they they ended up just discontinuing it, not because it wasn't a cool thing to have, but because public's taste had changed. It wasn't getting the support. It was kind of old hat. And I think you can make a strong argument that the domes are are like that as well. Jeff, I think the solution is a public-private partnership. The county should get a sponsorship for the domes. Beer Garden Partnership is proof that that is the way forward. Well, first of all, I think the the Beer Garden Partnership has been absolutely outstanding. Remember former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, and I, you know, and I think especially that the first you know, the first half dozen years of the Clark term, I think were, were just great. But one of the things that we disagreed on during that period of time was he just didn't think we should have beer gardens. The first one was in Esterbrook Park, uh, not that far from where, you know, our Radio City was uh, on Capitol Drive. And and Clark couldn't have been more wrong on that. I mean, that that Esterbrook Park beer garden helped revitalize that that park. And, and it's it's thriving today thanks to the vision of the Weissgerbers and stuff. And it, it's a great place to go. It's brought that that park back when they have the traveling beer trucks. That That's that's great. So there is a public partnership route that's out there. I just don't know how you're going to be able to sell that 
um, for, for the domes? I mean, is there somebody out there that thinks that, okay, we can, we can contribute $30 million or $40 million to retrofit and redo the domes? I just don't see that as, as being practical. Jeff, tear it down, incorporate a dome on top of the new museum they're looking at building with city view, sky deck, charge extra to go up there, maybe even after hours bar option. People would be all about that. Well, right, the other option is if you wanted to recreate the dome's experience, take some space at the zoo. You know, you don't have three domes, but maybe you, you build one dome or something and incorporate um, it with that. Um, so I, I think that that's it. Uh, let's see. Jeff, it's time for the domes to be retired. Um, well, I think that there's an argument for that. Um, Jeff, it's a very sad, very sad reality. The domes were built in the 1960s, totally out of county tax revenue cash flow. No borrowing not whatsoever. Now we can't even fund the pensions, and there's nothing left for major maintenance on any Milwaukee County facility. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just the reality that we're in. Now, if you want to look back and say, well, how did the domes get to this state, and should we have been, um, uh, in part of its deferred maintenance, gee, if we would have spent, you know, $2 million in 1990-whatever, you know, maybe we wouldn't be looking at having to spend as much now. And that, you know, that's a discussion that people can have on a regular basis, but it doesn't change the fact that here in 2022, in order to really revitalize revitalize the domes, you're talking about tens of millions of dollars. And I just don't see that happening. James on the South Side. James, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um since everything is going downtown, and since everything is uh, Pfizer is uh, with uh, with the arena and all this other stuff, everything else, let's bring the do- let's tear the domes down, bring it downtown there, and call it the Oasis there. You can beautify downtown, you know, beautification and everything else. And what the heck, we can we can all enjoy it. Um, thanks to call James. I'm not sure where you'd put the domes downtown, and um, right right now, I think you know downtown. Let's. Let's get the new music facility built on the site of the um, of, on the site of the where the, the Bradley Center was, and, and and that's going to go up. But that's actually not public money. That's going to be all private money that's there. You can't move it towards the lakefront because you know people will be all upset, and that might violate the trust agreements on the lakefront. No, I mean I, I think I think the choice is the Mitchell Park domes are either staying in Mitchell Park or alternatively maybe it's maybe it's just time to recognize that. It's it's just time to move on, and sometimes there's some wonderful things that are out there, and they're wonderful memories, and we all cherish them, and they were great. But moving forward, um, it's not 1972 anymore; it's 2022. Mike Spalding, do you know what birthday it is today? This is the test. I have no idea. Not even close. Not even a smidge of a guess. Okay, would it be a hint if I said it's the 247th birthday? Something turns 247 today. See, you're uh, normally so good at this. I know, you normally I surprise know, me. I it's know. It's like, look at the big brain on Mike Spaulding. No? I've been out of it. Um, Drawing a blank on this Is one? it a monument? No. It's no. a person? Well. A tortoise. Is it a tortoise? <laughs> is it a tortoise? No. <laughs> All right. Today, November 10th, 2022, the United States Marine Corps... The day before Veterans Day, they celebrate their 247th birthday today. In 1775, the Corps was born out of a Philadelphia tavern during the American Revolutionary War. So for all the Marines out there, my dad was a Marine. Uh, my message is happy birthday and boorah. 
So, yeah, 247. And, of course, Veterans Day is tomorrow. You know, tomorrow is Veterans Day. There's no mail. No mail. Normally, it's, it's they celebrate it on a Monday, but it's uh, celebrated on Friday tomorrow so people can have the three-day weekend and uh, no mail. So if, you didn't, if you're expecting it and didn't get it today, got to wait till Saturday. Does that include email? Because I'd appreciate that. I'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That would be Mike, you know, what, 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 is, what is it at, at goodkarmabrands.com? What would, what's yours? M, M. Spaulding. M. Spaulding. Send okay. me a nice note. Send, yes, be nice, please. Yeah, I, you, you can send me whatever notes you want to send me. That's okay. I'm, I, but, you know, Mike, Mike, deserves, Mike deserves nothing but the good notes. When we come back, no more AYCD. No more AYCD. I will explain. We will discuss. We were just discussing this. Veterans Day honors the incredible sacrifices made by our brave men and women who served in the United States military. This week, we recognize all Americans who fought for us and continue to fight for our great country. From WTMJ, our radio station, and myself personally, we really want to thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Day, presented by Tabak Law's Veterans Benefit Center. Okay. Now, you, Charlie, when I, when I use the phrase AYCD, do you know what I am referring to? You know what that acronym is? No. You do not. Okay. All right. Well, I have always believed that, no, this isn't AOC. It's not that. No, no, no. That's, that's, a, that's a different thing. No, I have always believed that the two, when you go to a wedding, that the two greatest words in the English language are open bar. The four greatest words in the English language are open bar all night <laughs> or all evening or, or whatever. So because it's, it's just sort of nice. Okay, AYCD stands for All You Can Drink. Now, there are still a handful of bars in Milwaukee that have what they call All You Can Drink specials. As a matter of fact, the story was that there was um, one of the bars downtown um, got in trouble because that they'd had their their license was up for renewal. Long story short, they'd had a, a series of police calls, and when they went back and looked at it, at least a couple of the aldermen said, "Well, you know, if we look at the number of police calls, it seems that at least a portion of these are going on on Thursday nights when you are offering this all you can drink special." And so, at this licensing committee hearing a couple of weeks ago. You know, um, one of the aldermen said, hey, aren't you asking for problems by having, you know, a permissive flow of alcohol on, on Thursday nights? And the owner says, well, Thursdays are extremely competitive nights. Many competitors offer $1 drink and $1 shot specials on Thursdays. And he said, you know, and, and just because we say it's all you can drink, that doesn't mean it's an open bar and it doesn't include shots. But nevertheless, I mean, all you can drink is is all you can drink. And there's a handful of bars that, that do this. Um, there's one, apparently, that for 14 bucks you get um, a wristband, and that means you can all you can drink for 14 bucks. You, you get the um, wristband. There's um, an, another one that runs kind of like a mug night where you buy a $10 plastic cup and you can refill it indefinitely through the um, night. But in any event, the... the the Common Council, the licensing committee, was looking at this, and they said, you know, this all-you-can-drink stuff, we understand it's competitive, but this this is nothing but a recipe for trouble. So as a condition of essentially keeping the license, what they said is, all right, you you got you to gotta get rid of this all-you-can-drink stuff. 
no all-you-can-drink specials at these bars, which I, I think is, is sort of an interesting thing because, again, I can remember – I can remember, like, growing up uh, around here, back in the, gosh, back in the, I'm really dating myself, back in the disco days and things like that, and I can remember, and you would go to these places, and I can remember lots of bars would have, like, the all-you-can-drink stuff when you, you know, you'd pay the the $15 cover charge, or it would be, like, three-for-one drinks and things like that. So, I mean, they clearly were trying to attract people in by offering these incredible drink deals. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. All right. All-you-can-drink specials. Should bars be allowed to continue to offer them, or is it just flat-out irresponsible in today's day and age to do that? Now, the problem, again, is, you know, where do you draw the line? If you say, okay, you can't have an all-you-can-drink special, is it okay then to say, all right, we're going to have, you know, dollar shots all night, or we're going to have, you know, $2 rail drinks all, all night? Is that fundamentally different than saying, okay, you've got an all-you-can-drink night, $14, drink all you want, or we're, we're going to have $2 rail drinks, so you, you can pound that back 7 or 8 for the same price? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Should all-you-can-drink specials be outlawed? We discuss in just a moment. AYCD, all-you-can-drink. All right, there was one bar that offered these, and it's a condition of keeping its law license. The city of Milwaukee said, now you got to get rid of this. All right, does that – what do you think? Uh, Jeff, at the risk of sounding like an old fuddy-duddy, I say it's not a good idea to have all-you-can-drink specials. I've seen weddings ruined by open bars and people who truly want to be gluttons because the drinks are free. I can only imagine this would be the same for the bars offering this. The problem, though, is, again, where, where do you draw the line? So if you say, okay – all you can drink for fifteen bucks, or we're we're going to sell you know real drinks for for a buck a piece, and you so for fifteen bucks you can have fifteen you know real drinks, and somewhere along the line you're going to be like probably passed out and throwing up over yourself. So, it, 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 are we just if, if you've got a problem with people that are over imbibing? I mean, isn't that just a, a thing on for the bartenders or, or whatever? Because I guess my, this is my problem. By saying you can't call something all you can drink doesn't solve the problem unless you're going to say you can't have dollar shots, you know, or you, you, can't, you can't sell, you know, a, a bucket of beer. You can't buy like six beers for three bucks or whatever in a bucket. And I, I think at some point in time you end up micromanaging. It's the responsibility of the bar to make sure they're not over-serving people. And if they are, regardless of what the special is— that's when there's an issue, isn't there? Jeff, what's next to be outlawed? All you can smoke or all you can eat? Um, Jeff, it seems to be an invitation for trouble, but they don't monitor weddings, etc. No, they don't. Let's talk to Lisa in Lake Geneva. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, I feel like it should be open bar. Like, if that's what you want to do, that's what you should be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, one of our texters is saying, look, um, if... If you make it all you can drink, people figure, okay, I, I've paid my $15 or $20 or whatever, so now I have to drink more to get my money's worth. So there's more of a chance that I'm going to get myself blotto and cause problems. Well, as a, as a business owner and as a, as a liquor license holder, you have to be accountable right. to not over-serve. Um, right. yeah. Obviously, that's something... 
Right. Yeah, I guess we have so many stipulations on society today. Yeah. Make people accountable for their actions. Yeah, see, Lisa, I'm with you. I just don't see, I, I mean, unless you're going to completely eliminate drink specials or you want the government micromanaging what the drink special is, but whether you call it all you can drink or whether you call it dollar shots or whatever, it, it, does, it doesn't matter. People can still overindulge, and it's the responsibility of the liquor license holder to make sure that they're not over-serving people. And that's, I appreciate it. It's an awesome responsibility, but... You know, what you call the drink special, I don't think makes any difference. Uh, it, You know, I, at least I don't think so. They can overindulge on regular, play, on regular right. prices also. So. Right. Yeah, no, ex- well, exactly. Right, no, th- thanks for calling out. There, maybe they're more likely to do it if, if this is it. And that's, I mean, that, you know, that's, it's one of the reasons, and I know you may disagree with me on this, and thanks for the call, Lisa. Um, the, you know, when we... When we upped the drinking age from 18 to 21, when I was when I was 18, that's what the drinking age was in Wisconsin. Now it's 21, and I understand all the arguments for this, particularly that there's now this federal standard that you don't get highway money unless it's it's 21. But I think one of the things that that's done is I think that is particularly in college campuses, it's led to an increase in binge drinking. What do you mean, Jeff? Well, okay, these 19 and 20 year olds, okay, if they can't drink in the bars. They're going to be drinking beer. That's just the reality. If we think people aren't going to drink beer, that is naive. So what do they do? They go to these house parties that, that you know you have on college campuses, and you've got the keg of beer, and you get the red plastic cup, and you can drink as much as you can. If instead of that, you had the kids that were going to the bars and stuff, there would at least be bartenders and owners, and there would be people that were there that were— whether it's all you can drink or what, there'd be adults that were there to kind of like measure the consumption. So I've always, I mean, I felt that way that, again, you're better off, you know, having some sort of controls. And again, whether you, I mean, okay, if you say you can't have an all you can drink special, does that mean you can't have the red cup? And where where do you end up drawing the line? Uh, James in Pewaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, James. Let me, uh, let me, (laughs) Let me show you how dumb this is as both a ex-bartender and someone who frequently leaves more than I'd ever care to admit to. <laughs> At least if you limit it to one person on a special per se, you've got one knuckle-dragged, commode-hugging drunk. The problem is when you, of course, they're going to simply drastically reduce their prices. Yes. And now you have people buying a multitude of drinks for a yeah. multiple, multitude of people who may not normally over-consume. Yes. But now, since they're fifty cent taps or seventy five cent taps yeah. or whatever they're going to make it, now you have a an exponentially larger number of people who are going to overconsume. It, it's just the way this works. Um, so you are not solving any problem. Yeah, yeah, James, it's funny you tell that story. Okay, last, last winter I'm down in Florida. I, I'm at this this Mexican restaurant that I, I like. We're kind of waiting for a table, and so I'm 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 at the bar with a friend of mine, and we're going to get like a margarita, right? And we're going to bring like a glass of wine back to my wife. The guy in front of me orders, honest to God, he orders nine margaritas, and I'm going nine margaritas. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you? Well, well, it turns out it's two dollar margarita night. So you know, instead of ordering like the yeah. one, he, he's ordered. He's, he's got two other people at the table, so they, they've ordered three apiece. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, you're right. Some, you're exactly right. You're, there's ways around this, unless you're going to micromanagement and no, ma- manage it. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in a state with, let's be honest, millions of professional drinkers. 
that they haven't figured this out and actually think this is some kind of go-around, yeah, <laughs> go-between for this issue. Right. Right, no. be proven wrong. No, th- thanks for the call. No, it, w- it was fun. It was. I'm, I'm, this is a true story. So my buddy Dale and I were standing there, and I don't, I don't think he, Dale doesn't even drink. He's there going to help me because I'm going to get a margarita for myself and I'm going to get a couple glasses of wine for his wife Maggie and my wife. And uh, the guy in front of me, I'll have nine margaritas. And I'm going, who, you know, who would blank nine margaritas? Then I watch him pull out a 20, and he says, keep the change to the bartender. I'm going, you bought nine margaritas, and you tell him, keep the change. What's going on? And I, then they say, oh, it's $2 margarita night. So I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Well, but but then so the way psychology works, instead of getting the one margarita, I said, well, as long as I'm here, I'll take, I'll have two. <laughs> you know, I'll just, I might have had a second one later on. But but James is absolutely right. That's the dynamic. I guess the the, the bottom line is, whether you call it all you can drink or whether it's dollar shots or whatever, I, I don't want, think we want government trying to micromanage how we we do this. The responsibility needs to be on the license holder to make sure that you're not over serving people. And I admit that that's, that's going to be a challenge when it's all you can drink. But whether it's, you know, dollar shots or, you know, three for one or whatever this is, that's where the responsibility lies. Don't get rid of the all you can drink. Although I will tell you, when you say all you can drink, um, th- these days, all you can drink for me, I'm, I'm, I'm much more into quality as opposed to quantity. No doubt about that. 1-800-848-9222. 